to another episode of my podcast where in the second season we were talking about my newly published book Hopeless Romantic The Untold History of Ethiopia. If you haven't gotten the book yet, I suggest that you get it uh, and read along. I think podcasts are always better, like especially the way that I do my podcast if you haven't heard it before is based on the book so if you don't read the book then you're gonna get kind of lost but I promise it's gonna be engaging there's a lot of interesting stories to get into so I uh, suggest that you know if you haven't gotten my book make sure to get it but before that uh, you know what time it is we got to kick it off the right way let's gather our thoughts and our minds for prayer so we can start this in the right way in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Holy, holy, holy is your name, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for bringing us together and 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 guiding us through this journey. God, I ask that you grant me your wisdom as we start yet another episode. Uh, we, I ask that what we discuss here today serves uh, to educate many people. And in this conflict, in the midst of this conflict, uh, is able to heal many wounds that have been created. Heavenly Father, I ask you bring peace to the nation and receive the souls of the fallen ones. Be with their family and provide comfort. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen, the intercession of the Virgin Mary and the angels and saints, we pray, amen. All right, welcome back to the second episode, uh, but we're continuing the introduction portion of, of the book. Um, where I talk about, uh, in, in this episode, I'm going to continue to talk about kind of the inspiration behind the book, why I wrote it, what was going on at the time I was writing it. Um, but you know, uh, before I, I do all that, I do have to take a, a second to really take my time to thank everyone for all of your support. Uh, I just, at the time of this recording, um, like a few days before I, I, I made a Instagram video just thanking everyone, but I want to do that again. By the time you hear it, it might be a little late and you're like, what is he talking about? But it's just, you know, people have been reaching out to me, supporting me, letting me know that you guys got my back and all that stuff. And I, I can't thank you guys enough. Just, just letting me know that you guys, you know, you're there for me. Um, I've said it before. I'll say it again. This past year was a rough year, uh, but just knowing that, you know, uh, you guys are, are thinking about me and, and, and praying on my behalf it really means a lot. Um, having said that, uh, speaking about Instagram, uh, make sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter. If you're not, if this is your first time, you're like, hmm, what's going on? I also want to take a second to thank my patrons. And if you want to be a patron. Uh, you can do so by going to patreon.podbean.com forward slash in order to support uh, future uh, projects like this and future podcasts. All right, let's get to it. Um, today we have a lot of stuff to talk about and I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get through the whole thing. I'll do my best. But even before like talking about the the things going on leading up to writing this book and the conflict in Tigray, I want to kind of take even like one more step back and talk to you guys about my journey like after c 
coming back from the monastery. So in the previous podcast, I talked a lot about, you know, my journey to the monastery. And I even talked about my journey in the monastery. But I never talked about like what happened since. Right. Um, and today I kind of want to do that a little bit to, uh, within the context of of um, like how I ended up in the position that I was in in order to write the book. Um I promise there's there's a purpose to all this madness and just trust me. Let me let me take you down the journey and then you, just trust me. Uh, I promise there's a purpose to everything. So like when I was in the monastery as I was learning uh the major thing that I was learning was kene like I knew deep down in my heart I couldn't go back to a normal job. Like, you know, engineering. That's what I did in my undergrad. And, like, I couldn't think about, you know, going back to the office and, and just living a normal life. So, while I was in the monastery, I was actually already planning my next steps. A lot of people blame me for, like, uh, always thinking about the future. People say I don't live in the present. And it's both a strong um, virtue to have and it can also be a negative like setback right because you should kind of experience and enjoy the journey that you're going in but at the same time it's important to always think about um the future so in terms of temperaments if you guys know what temperaments are uh i'm a red i'm a planner so i always try to think like two three steps ahead and and think about what i'm doing Anyway, all that to say, like, while I was in the monastery doing my kenes, I was already applying to graduate school programs um, to continue learning about, you know, the Bible and God and all that stuff. And the obvious choice for me was uh, divinity schools. So I applied to a lot of divinity schools. I didn't know where I was going to go. Uh, if you're in the D.C. area, um, I applied to, like, Howard uh, and Catholic University. I applied to... Uh, other places as well. And ultimately, I ended up choosing the Catholic University of America. And I just have to say here, like I've gotten many messages, especially from, you know, people that grew up in Ethiopia. When they hear uh, I, I was going to a Catholic university, they'd be like, wow, you converted to Catholicism? I'm like, no, like it's a school. Like if you're in DC area, like you know Catholic, the Catholic university is, it's a pretty big school and it's very well known and people go there, like Orthodox people go there, Catholics go there, Protestants go there. Uh, you know, it's a school. Um, but ultimately I chose it because it was A, local and B, I thought it was a pretty good program to, to learn about divinity, to learn about God. Like, why not? Right. And I was ready to start my graduate school program. And again, if you're not around the D.C. area, you don't know what the Catholic University looks like. It's like a regular school, but with a twist. Right. And the twist is like you will literally see monks and nuns like walking on campus like there are students who are like monks and nuns and this is especially true in the classrooms when you're taking divinity right like if you're in the divinity program like most of your classmates are monks and it's funny because like i was always like like i don't know i kind of found myself like being lost in a lot of this stuff 
because it's a tradition that I do not know. It's just like an environment that I didn't know what I was doing. And there was one class in particular where, like, literally, I'm not exaggerating, everybody in the classroom uh, were either monks or they were training to be monks. And I remember on the first day, like, everybody would do an introduction and... You know, they're all monks, so they would be like, hello, everyone. My name is Brother Mike, and I am da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And they will give their introduction, and the next person would be like, hello, everyone. I'm Brother Steve, and I'm this. I'm majoring in that, da-da-da-da. And I'm like, why are they referring to each other as brother? Like, <laughs> I'm the real brother in the house. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay, that's a bad joke. But... Like, I, I, I didn't know what they were doing. I Honestly, it took me a while to figure out the reason why they were using brothers because they're monks. Monks refer to themselves as brothers. So, I was like, I, you know, I don't know. Like, what does that make me? Like, the cousin? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just was lost. Like, I remember thinking, like, I don't belong here. I don't know why I'm here. And in addition to everything else going on, I remember thinking, like, the, the class is what I was learning just wasn't for me. Like, I would sit there and learn about Thomas Aquinas. And I'm like, I I mean, you know, it sounds ignorant, but like, you know what I mean? Like, we don't talk about him, the Ethiopian Orthodox Auto Church, you know? And like, I was just fresh out of gutta. And I, you know, like, was doing tennis, and like, you know, and like, you know, there's none of that here. And I remember thinking like, I was just lost. Like, I don't know why I'm in this program. I and and it's very expensive. I had to take like a lot of loans and God knows how I'm going to I don't I don't even know like how I'm going to pay all those loans. But like, um, you know, I'm like, why am I here? Because I'm not getting anything out of it. And but I will say, like, I really did enjoy my introduction to Old Testament and New Testament classes. They gave me a good foundation for the bible and these are kind of like classes that you know i I would recommend for a lot of people um not at a catholic church but like you know if you can get your hands on like uh i know the selassie university at ethiopia uh has an online program so especially you know if you're a sunday school teacher a deacon i would recommend that for you but anyway long story short in the first semester, like I knew this was not the program for me and I wasn't intending to sit around for the next four or five years, you know, doing this. So I spoke with my advisor and he told me there was actually an Ethiopic program at Catholic University. And like, I could not believe it. Like, what do you mean? Like, what does an Ethiopic program even mean? Like, what does that even look like? Right. So I was so confused. So I went to talk to the professor who was leading the class and he gave me a tour of the department and I just couldn't believe what I was looking at. Um, I, I, again, if you're in the D.C. area, I highly recommend you go and check it out. They had hundreds like up in the 700s mark of like like manuscripts that were all of the Ethiopian Orthodox Sahadu Church. Like, it belonged to the... But they were at the school. And this department was studying these manuscripts, right? And, like, name it, they had it. They had Mazmura Dawit. Of course, they had, like, a whole bunch of those. They had Tamara Mariam. They had Gedlat. They had the Bible. The Dursanat. I mean, the whole thing. Like, the whole, the, the, the whole nine yard. And then, of course, like, when I'm looking at this and, like, my professor's telling me they learned Gutis and all this stuff... I decided to join this program, 
disclaimer. This meant that I was leaving the theology department and entering to the Semitics department. Like, ever since I joined the Semitics department, every time people tell me, wait, aren't you studying theology? I'm like, no. Like, because theology, right, the study of God is in theology. So, like, essentially, any theology department makes God the focal point. And they discuss about, okay, how does God govern the world, right? So that's like a primary question for theology. In cases of the Semitics department, God is outside of the question, and they're more interested in, because this is under the humanities, they're, they're more concerned about how like religion evolved, right? Taking God out of the equation. Um, how people interacted with uh, the church, especially in Ethiopic studies, they're concerned about what did the Ethiopian Orthodox Auto Church look like, let's say, in the 13th century, 14th century. These were um, concerning questions to the department. Um, before I move on, I think one interesting thing to talk about is, like, during my time in this in the divinity program, I met some people there, intriguing students, and these are, like, young, young folks. And one thing I learned is, Get this, like, their local bishop kind of tells them what to study. Like, they tell them what school to go to. They advise them, like, like the bishop will sit them down and they're like, okay, we want you to study church history. Um, and then they'll go to another one and we want you to study canon law and so on and so forth. And they're like, okay. And then they go and they study it. And then they tell them, we want you to go to this school. We want you to go to this school. And then, like, their whole life is planned out for them. And then they obey. The level of obedience at the Catholic church, I could even say, at the Catholic institutions are remarkable. Anyway, so I was kind of, like, jealous of that and, and their ability to work in this way. But the next few years, I was in the Semitics department, not at the theology. And this new program was extremely language intensive. Like, when you enter the program, you have to at least learn two ancient languages and two modern languages. So in my case, I studied Giz, which is obviously the ancient language of Ethiopia, and Coptic, which was the ancient language of Egypt. And yes, Coptic is a language. It's not just, you know, the Coptic church, but there is a language called Coptic or it was uh, it was around, you know, um, in, uh, you know, the, the first millennium. So the reason why I wanted to study Coptic was because uh, obviously of the relationship that the Ethiopian Orthodox Auto Church has with with Egypt. As most of you know, Egypt is one of the six sisterly churches uh, and especially Egypt is important to study because, um, throughout history, uh, especially within the Ethiopian Eritrean church, like we received many books from the Egyptian church, for example, lots of canons like the Fitahanagast, uh, like were translated from the Egyptian church into the Ethiopian church. Uh, a lot of Bible biblical books came from Egypt to Ethiopia, uh, original miracles of Mary came from Egypt. So, so like take uh, miracles of Mary for example. If I wanted to learn more about like Tamara Mariam, what is it? Where did it come from? Like I wanted to you know learn about the what we call the textual history. 
I would need to go to the source, which is, you know, from the Egyptian Orthodox Auto Church. So I was like, it makes sense to learn the ancient language of Egypt, Coptic, because obviously it must have had a relationship with uh, the Ethiopian Orthodox Auto Church. Boy, oh boy, was I wrong. Oh, man, oh, man. It turns out Coptic was an ancient language. I was right about that, but it was only used locally. So for all international relations, they used Greek, especially like before the rise of Islam. So take, for example, Ethiopia. We have many local languages, right? Amarinya, Oromiña, Tigrinya, Guragiña, so on and so forth. Uh, but for official international business, we use English, right? For the most part. Um, and that was the same way for Egypt. Like they used, uh, uh, the Coptic for local like conversations, but for international relations, they used Greek before the rise of Islam. And after Islam, they used the Arabic language, both for the local and international purposes. So, like, when I learned, like, I don't want to say, like, I wasted two years learning a language that I didn't need for my research in Ethiopian Orthodox Auto Church. But, I mean, I wasted two years of my time learning a language I didn't really need. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's, it's always good to learn a new language. But, uh, honestly, like, Coptic, I've forgotten a lot of stuff that I learned. But I did end up learning Greek, which I have to say was one of the hardest languages to learn. And what makes a learning languages hard is not just like learning the language, but also the terminology. I remember like my Greek uh, teacher would come in and he would say something like, today we are learning the aorist form. And I'm like, I don't know what an aorist form is. So now I have to learn this new form and then I have to know what an aorist form is, you know? And, or he would be like, let's look at the dative form of this noun. And I'm like, I don't know what a dative is, right? So... I was just lost again. <laughs> like, I felt like I was way outside of the league. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And keep in mind, most of the students in my class, like, they would learn Greek, Latin, and other Romance languages in high school, if not middle school, if not elementary school. And they were just like, in college, it was just more of a revision for them. But for me, it was like something totally, totally different. This is why I'm like, we're like way behind. Like the Ethiopian Orthodox Auto Church, we were way, way, way behind in how we set up our students, right? If we were serious about the Ethiopian Orthodox Auto Church, I think we need to start uh, not just teaching them Giz, but like really the foundational, uh, the key for the church, which is the language. We, we, we should start kids young and teach them the language, the history as well. Not just like they become a deacon, we call it a day. Anyway, so I finished my master's. In Coptic and Giz, I knew that I didn't need like Coptic anymore, so I, I wanted to start doing Arabic. And Arabic is a new is a beast of its own. Um, it's really really hard. And you know, I was talked into studying Arabic by some folks because they picked up the colloquial Arabic along the way. That is the spoken language. And the thing with Arabic is there's a lot of like cognate words. If you don't know what cognate words are, they're words that sound similar to another language. Like, especially for Giz, for example, the Arabic is very similar. Take, for example, the um, the pronouns. Like, how you say I in Giz is Ana, and in Arabic is Ana. For you in Giz is Anta, and Arabic is Anta. You feminine 
Of course, the English doesn't discern between feminine is auntie. The major difference in the pronouns is in third person he. In the in, in the Arabic, it would be huwa huwa, versus in the, in the Ethiopic would be wa'atu. And she would be hiya, and it would be yiti. But anyway, so there are a lot of similarities. But um, so, you know, when I heard these familiarities, I'm like, how hard can it really be? It turns out very hard, right? <laughs> Number one, the script is hard to read. Like, there's no diacritics. And what that means is, and I talk about this in my book, Arabic, much like is in, in, in very early periods of the Aksumite region, um, uh, did not have... Um, Vowel systems, right? Uh, and instead, they only use consonants. So, like to to say my name, Dawit, uh, they would just use Dawata, the consonants Dawata, and it was up to you to figure out how to pronounce the name. Now you're like, well, okay, that sounds kind of fun. Actually, it sounds like a little puzzle. But imagine if you saw the letters like in Amharic, ba, and then la, right? That's all you have. Now it's up to you to figure out: is this bala? Is it balu? Is this is it bal hinin bal like to say this thing? Is this uh hinin bil noro? You know what is it? Uh, or if you have malaka, is it malak? Is it malk? Like what is it? You know. So <laughs> that's the same kind of concept in Arabic. Um, so anyway, it's so hard. In addition to all this, uh, there are a lot of like Syriac loan words, especially in the Quran. That's the story for another day. But it's a very complex language to studies. But and I wasn't just like there learning all these languages. I was learning about the history of Ethiopian Orthodox Auto Church as well. In fact, my first assignment in this department was to write an article about the nine saints. I'm sure you guys have heard about the nine saints. Uh, again, something I cover in my book. And I remember like <laughs> like my first assignment was like so my professor, you know, my advisor, he sat me down and told me like in the 1920s and 30s, a group of Italian scholars were able to demonstrate how these nine saints are not Syrian. And moreover, there's no contemporary evidence that points to their existence. And thereby, like he was basically implying that the nine saints are ahistorical. Like, you know, we can't really um, show if they existed or not. And I remember thinking, wait. Why are Italian scholars writing about Ethiopian history? Like, that was my first question. Like, I thought that was bizarre. You know what I mean? Like, why are, like, the Italians, out of all the people, given the history of Adawa, given the fact that, you know, they tried to come and colonize us in the 1920s and 30s, writing about our history? And I thought the whole thing was bizarre. Now, I knew this was a school and not a church. These people are not deacons. They're not priests. So I don't expect them to have the same reverence for our tradition as we do. And I expect a major tradition. But just what, why, why are these people Italian? That was my question, right? Fast forward. And after, you know, I finished my PhD classes, I started studying for my PhD comprehension exams. And just like the master's, you take an exam in PhD. But this time, I was going to take, um, I wasn't doing Coptic anymore. I was going to do it in Giz in Arabic. So the format of the exam is very different. Uh, it's not a translation as, like, for my master's, I, we had to translate text. But this time, it was to write essays. We had to write, like, an essay for eight hours. It was, it was pretty tough. So in preparation for the exam, you have to read lots and lots of books and articles. And... As I was preparing for 
like my PhD exams, there was a major controversy circulating within the Ethiopic studies circle. And like, I don't want to get too much into it. Maybe you've heard of the controversy. Maybe you haven't. <clears throat> Essentially, uh, a scholar from uh, one of the prestige universities published a work on Walata Petros. And essentially, she was claiming that there were like homosexual nuns in in her monastery, and perhaps the most alarming of her findings or her supposed findings was that the saint Walata Petros was being tempted by these homosexual nuns. So, as you could expect, and rightfully so, there was an uproar from the Ethiopian community, right? And I myself, I was getting ready to write an article refuting her findings. I think there were a lot of points that she just missed. And I disagreed with her on there were misreadings, uh, what I felt like was misrepresentations. And others, other people from the Ethiopian community as well, they um, published many things refuting her findings. And... I don't know how I felt about that as much as like, you know, clearly like this is a problem. Like people can't walk around changing our history. I thought the way that especially some of the people wanted to refute her findings, I took issue with that. For example, there was one person in particular who really refuted her findings and concluded that she was a racist. Um, and for me, like, like, race is a very sensitive thing, right? And I think, like, it's a cheap shot, right? So whenever, like, some, you know, Westerner disagrees with you, it's such a cheap shot to say, oh, well, you're racist. Like, if you have a logical argument to put forward for why you disagree with them, put it forward. But just this claim that somebody's racist and then win an argument, like, come on, man. Like, we could do better than that, right? So, I like, that's just not how I function. Um, so, I was extremely disappointed at that. And I will say, like, like, for me, I took the time to actually engage with this scholar who wrote this thing about Tebetros. I sat down. I put my arguments forward and she actually appreciated my style of argument and, and the arguments that I, I, I proposed. And she incorporated some of my ideas in her future um, subsequent uh, publishing. So like I was able to make a small uh, change, right? Like I, I made a small contribution by engaging with the scholar instead of just throwing out my fist and saying, oh, look, they're all racist and that's it and we can't work with this. I feel like that's very polarized and that you're just not effective. So having seen all this, I reached out to some of my professors from the Ethiopic study uh, uh, community. So I, I recognized there was two groups, two polarized groups, right? In one corner, you have the the priests, the deacons, the Ethiopian Orthodox Auto Church community, who unfortunately are always upset at the thing that the second group always publishes. The second group are mainly Westerners, white folks, who have access to all these 
like Branna Mazahaft, manuscripts of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, and are always publishing things that are not in line with the tradition of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. So I thought, why fight? We don't have to fight all the time. We can sit at a round table and talk about how we can be partners. And what I wanted to see in the vision that I had was um, the priests being consultants, right? And the priest being able to have a voice in a lot of the things that were being produced within the Ethiopian or within the Ethiopian studies department. So then this would be a partnership instead of a polarized community. So I reached out to some of the, my professors and, and like, you know, my colleagues within the Ethiopic community. And I said, let's work together. Let's be partners and let's see how we can move together. And they liked it. I also reached out to some priests and I told them about my idea of collaborating. People liked it. And, um, I was excited about this journey. And then the conflict in northern Ethiopia happened. The war in Tigray happened. And needless to say, that changed everything. More on that next week when I talk about how things changed for me and exactly how I ended up writing this book. Um, hopefully, uh, you guys will are enjoying this podcast. Leave a comment in the comment section. Let me know what you guys want to talk about, what you feel about it. If you haven't done so already, I ask that you go on Amazon if you have read the book and leave a comment there. Uh, if you haven't bought my book, make sure to buy my book. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at D, at D Mulune. And again, if you want to uh, become a patron and, and support uh, future podcasts, you could do so by going to patreon.podbean.com forward slash Dawit Mulune. Thank you. And hopefully I'll, I'll, you'll join me next time. I, I was going to say you'll see me next time, but we don't really see each other in a podcast. Take care, everyone. And have a blessed week. Thank you.